The NBA postseason tipped off in grand style, but some key injuries to heavy favorites may shift the balance of the first round. I'll recap a crazy weekend of basketball, which will lead into the opening night of the Stanley Cup playoffs as the chase for the best trophy in all of sports commences. I'll preview the first round, including my beloved Islanders. Do they have a shot to upset the Hurricanes? The Rays finally lost. Derek Cole's hot start as I go around the horn in baseball. And Jalen Hurts gets paid, but was it too soon? It's never too soon for hard-hitting, fast-paced, action-packed sports talk. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rubble without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Better late than never. Always staying consistent, showing up and showing out. That's the theme of this podcast as I share my critique and praise on all that's happening in sports. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been betting with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, this is a first for yours truly or maybe a first in a long time because... If this was a hitting streak a la Joe DiMaggio, or maybe even better, Cal Ripken, who had his Ironman streak, what is it, 2,652 games? Well, here it is, late on a Monday as I'm recording this, because usually I start off my Monday morning bright and early, recording everything that's happened over the last three days, and because of a bunch of different things that have interfered along the way, I bring you this recording now, and then to think, I still have to edit and post this, which will probably won't be until the next day, so therefore, my streak of Mondays will come to a close. But that is alright, never fear, your favorite little sports podcast host is here to bring you everything that's happened, and I'm going to start off with the NBA, as they actually had a very good weekend when it comes to ball games, and it's interesting because when you look at the first two to start off the eight games that took place Saturday and Sunday, the first two you might as well just scrap and throw it in the garbage because when you had the Sixers run away from the Nets there in game one down in Philadelphia and blew out the Nets, which everybody's going to expect, it's going to end up probably being a five-game series, maybe even a sweep. Your second game, my beloved Celtics, where Jalen Brown scored 29 points and still doesn't have a good feel 
or good grip of the ball when it comes to whether dribbling or even maybe even taking the shot. But the Celtics, who had a 30-point halftime lead and a pretty much waltz to a 112-99 victory. And then that's when things started to turn and get interesting because when you look at those final six games, think about this. You had four of those six games, the road team winning. And we all know that the road in the NBA, you're going to have to, especially when you have those 3-6, 4-5, and in this case, even a 2-7 series, where the Knicks were able to nip and tuck their way, actually had a decent-sized lead there in the late in the third quarter and even into the fourth, but it was too much Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and when you look at what the Cavaliers have to offer, yes, Donovan Mitchell, but he's pretty much been a one-man wrecking crew throughout the first year of him being in Cleveland, and he's probably going to have to do a little bit more and then some if they have any shot of winning the series. Because other than he and Darius Garland, who can score, but maybe some pregame and during the game jitters, and when you have guys like even Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who are very good defensively and can put up points, but they're not known for their offensive prowess, And that's why you have the Knicks winning a game one in Cleveland where you'll have game two tomorrow. And it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not the Cavs, I would think they'll get back in the series. It shouldn't be a surprise there because I would look at this series to be at least six, maybe even seven. I picked the Cavs to win in six. So maybe let's see if the Cavs could get the equalizer and then come to Madison Square Garden and see if they could get a split to go back to Cleveland and maybe take a 3-2 series lead with a chance to close out the Knicks the following game there which would be at Madison Square Garden so that's going to be one to watch then you had the night game on Saturday night where the Golden State Warriors were up what was it 90 miles away to Sacramento and that was probably the best game overall in the weekend that was one that was back and forth up and down especially in that fourth quarter you had threes raining left and right great performance there by the Kings in their first playoff game in 16 years the Aaron Fox with 38 Malik Monk was perfect from the three-throw line, and he had, what, 32? DeMontis Sabonis, of course, made a contribution, and it was just a cauldron of emotion in that building. It's not the old Arco Arena dating back to the early aughts where you had Chris Webber, Pages Stojakovic, Mike Bibby, Vlade Divac, Bobby Jackson, etc. And the Kings were able to prevail. They had a little bit of a scare there, even at 124, 123 toward the end of the game. And they had the right man shooting if you're the Sacramento Kings. And that's a one Andrew Wiggins, who, as we all know, did not play in the last couple dozen games because of a family matter. And knowing that he is just trying to get himself back in any type of game shape and get his sea legs in order by him taking that shot in the corner. And you could even think and argue whether or not that was the play that was designed. And I get it. He was the open man there in the corner to try to get that three. But remember, they were only down by one at that point. But Wiggins tried to play the hero, badly missed. And even after a couple of free throws there on the other end, you had an opportunity for Steph Curry to get the game-time bucket in a three where he floated it from behind the arc. But it came up a little bit too long. And the Kings lighting the beam. I guess that's the theme there that's in Sacramento. And that was a huge win for them. Because if they would have lost that game, I know a lot of the momentum would have been on the Warriors' side. They would have had a lot of gas in the tank. Not that they need that, but considering you have a young team who has not been in the postseason in forever, and for them to have a game like that where the excitement was in the building, a lot of buzz, just great energy, and mostly Sacramento Kings fans. You would think that maybe some of the Warrior fans would take the trip up the, not necessarily the coast, but a little bit inland to visit 
that building, the Golden One Center, and to have the Warrior Faithful make the trek to see on a Saturday night if they could cheer their team on the victory to get that 1-0 lead and see if the Warriors could maybe even put a stranglehold on the series, but that was not the case as we saw, and which was a great game, and you would only hope that Sacramento will continue to play like that. They'll be playing tonight, game two, so a quick turnaround. Does that benefit Golden State more so than Sacramento? Maybe it does. They don't have to sit around for another day, the Warriors that is, even though they've been there, done that, and they don't feel anything when it comes to any type of pressure or any type of scenario where they're going to push the panic button. That is definitely not going to be the case with them. But for Sacramento to get that first win under their belt, all the pressure is off for them on game two. But I would think that they would need to win this game just to have that 2-0 series lead. So they had that cushion to know that they could afford to lose a game in San Francisco as opposed to being 1-1. And if they're down to one, then who knows? Sacramento season could go up in smoke. And we're really going to see the character of this team led by the coach Mike Brown to see where they would go from there if they were to be down 2-1. But as it is, they're up 1-0. And by the time we reconnect there on Thursday, we'll get a better sense and feel for where this series may lead. And then you had the games yesterday. And the first one being the Lakers and Grizzlies. And who would have thought that if I would have said to you prior to the game that LeBron James and Anthony Davis would have one shot attempt from the field in the fourth quarter between the both of them. And that your heroes on the Lakers would be Rui Achimura and Austin Reeves. You would probably look at me and say, Jay Reels, what are you smoking? But that was the case. Achimura with 29 points in the game. And that is a performance when you think about it. Usually a reserve will have in their own building. Because as we've seen throughout the test of time in the postseason where you have those players who... Grant Williams is a guy that comes to mind in that game seven against the Bucks last year where he hit what, six or seven threes and had 24 points and even Peyton Pritchard contributed with whatever he had in that game, I think it was 20 off the top of my head because they thrive with the home court, the crowd, they're riding that wave to where if they start to get a bucket from beyond the arc and they start to feel it to where they get on that hot streak and next thing you know, it's a heat check and they're cooking, and before you know it, you're in the third quarter, and this player has five, six, maybe even seven threes, and they go on to victory. In this case, Hachimura on the road, who knows if you're going to get another performance like that from him, especially in a setting like that, but you know what? If you're a Laker fan, you're going to take it, considering that LeBron, for him, had a pedestrian game, 21-11. and Anthony Davis was all over the place, putting up a double-double himself, but getting a bunch of key blocks, and just all over the place, And with John Morant, and that's a huge injury. And of course, we're going to talk about that. And then the next game after that with the two just enormous injuries that could really impact this first round. But for Morant, as we know, he is a guy that's going to go attack the basket at will. We understand that he's not a guy who's imposing as far as his build and his strength, a la LeBron. We know Morant is a bit of a thing. What is he, 6'3"? I would say off the top of my head, maybe he's two. 10, 215, but he goes to the basket with reckless abandon. And as we saw there yesterday, there in the fourth quarter, he did so landing on his left wrist. And you could see him wincing up and down the court until he had to leave the game. And then in the post game, he did mention that it is highly doubtful that he'll play in game two of this series and probably the rest if it's not going to be anything close to 100%. And what does that mean for the Grizzlies at this very moment? Probably curtains. Because without your best player, 
And with him not being able to infuse the confidence of that team, knowing that he is maybe not the spiritual leader of that team, but we all know from a talent level, from a guy that's one of the arguably the top 15 players in the sport, he is a guy that if Memphis is planning to go anywhere in this postseason, they're going to need him front and center to play as many minutes as he possibly can. And right now, it looks like game two is going to be an afterthought. So we're going to have to wait and see there. And the Lakers are in good shape. I would think that if they were to escape Memphis with another victory, there's no way I would see them losing four out of five because that's where the experience and the, I would even say maybe a bit of the swag could come back if you're LeBron, AD and company. That still remains to be seen. I could see Memphis going in there knowing that the pressure is going to be on them. Their back's going to be up against the wall. They do not want to go to LA down 0-2, and if they did go down 0-2 with Morant there, different story because I would think they'd come back in the series, but without him, you could forget it. So this is a do-or-die game for me if I'm a Memphis Grizzly fan, so we'll see how that plays out. And then you had the Heat and the Bucks, and I know I didn't talk about the playing games on Friday night. I guess I could pretty much tidy it up right here considering that these next two games, well, really the next game after that was Clippers-Suns, but I will talk about the Heat They survived the other night, and thanks to Jimmy Butler. He willed his team across the finish line. He dragged his team to the bitter end. They were down 90-87 with that three made by Kobe White. 347 to go, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, geez, if the Heat lose this game, as I mentioned on the podcast Thursday, there is going to be a lot to answer to down in South Beach between the owner, Mickey Harrison, Pat Riley, and who knows what's going to happen with Spolstra. You would think that his job will be secure, considering this recent run that he's had, an NBA Finals in the bubble, conference final last year, Game 7, where Jimmy Butler, if he drained the three, they would have gone on to play Golden State. And as of Friday night, or this past Friday, it looked like it was going to be an early exit and a very early vacation for a Heat team that had big aspirations to getting themselves back to where they were last year, a month from now. And as it was, they were able to prevail there, a 15-1 run to end the game, and they go on and win to face off against the Bucks in an 1-8 matchup. And what did you see there late in the first quarter? Giannis attacking the basket, but of course, with that chiseled build, unlike John Morant, comes crashing down to the Fiserv Forum floor, and next thing you know, he is getting up, and it does not look good for the Greek freak to the point where after those 11 minutes, he was gone for the rest of the game, and the Heat, Again, led by Jimmy Butler, although in their own right, they lose another key member of their team in a one Tyler Hero. He's going to be out with a broken hand, you would think, for at least a month. So we'll have to wait and see what the returns would be for him. But that is a key loss to a Miami Heat team that, as we've seen, even just so far in these first couple of playoff games, maybe not so much yesterday, but this is the team that has to really generate offense. They have to get a guy that's going to Have that hot hand other than Jimmy Butler. And we saw that there in the game Friday with Max Struess who had seven threes. But it's a scenario where Hero's going to be out. Bam out of bio. You can't really trust there on the offensive end. Although he can get points at times. But he does float in and out of these games. He's not really offensively consistent to where he's going to put up 16, 18, 20 points a game. Yes, he'll get you the blocks and the rebounds and the, the muck and the dirty stuff, which you need. And especially with this Heat team, he fits so well. But when you lose a big scorer like that, That 
may not bode well for the Heat moving forward, even with a 1-0 series lead, and even if they do get back to Miami tied at 1, there's no guarantee that they're going to get back to Milwaukee up 3-1 or even 2-2. And here's what I'll say about the Giannis injury. It's a back, and we understand backs are very unpredictable. From one day to the next, it could feel fine. From one day, it could be okay, and the next day, you can't get out of bed. And we all know that he is a freak of nature when it comes to his physical ability. He's a specimen. And one thing for sure, if you think back a couple of years ago to the Eastern Conference Final in Game 2 against the Hawks where he hyperextended his knee, and that was an ugly injury. Now, at the time, we're thinking, oh, geez, he may be out for the rest of the series against the Hawks, and who knows? We may not even see him at all throughout the rest of that playoff. But he did come back, I believe, Game 5, Maybe even game four for that matter because it was just a sprain. Thankfully, nothing was structurally damaged and it wasn't to an extent where he had to miss significant time. So he was able to bounce back and have that flexibility in his body for him to perform. And as we know, the Bucks went on not only to beat the Hawks there, but down 0-2 against the Suns, win an NBA final. I understand knee is different than the back. But we'll have to see the prognosis here. And even if the Heat were to go up 2-0... I don't think this series is over. I think the Bucks can take two games in Miami based on A, the home court down there, there is none. B, the Bucks do have a championship medal and I understand there's a little bit of that DNA with the Heat, but remember, they haven't won anything. So it wouldn't surprise me that even if they did lose without Giannis in a game two, I think that they could still win four out of five and move on past the first round and beat the Heat here. Especially... If Tyler Hero, and I'm not trying to make him out to be John Havlicek, but as a guy coming off the bench or even as a starter, that he could light up the score sheet in an instant, even with him out, the Heat are going to have to look for other players on that team that's going to supplement the offense that Hero is not going to provide, obviously, because he's going to be out of the lineup. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, if Giannis does come back in the series, I still think the Bucs are going to win. But again, with backs, we don't know. So the prognosis right now, we don't know about the MRI. We don't know what's going to happen here. I haven't even checked. Maybe I could do so before I sign off. But I really don't think that the Heat are going to be in trouble, unlike John Morant, him being out, whether it's for the rest of the series or even for the rest of the playoffs. I think the Bucks will be fine as opposed to the Grizzlies without their main stars. Then you had the Clippers and Suns. And this was a bit of a surprise because I thought the Suns would beat a team that doesn't have their other star, that being Paul George of the Clippers. But Kawhi Leonard, give it up to him. He is a guy that we all know, he is a silent assassin. He does carry a big stick, although he doesn't have that persona. He's a guy, as we all know, is very insulated from everybody else that's outside of his small circle. And what did he do last night? 13 for 24. 38 points, two big threes down the stretch. And even with the 27 points by Kevin Durant, and it wasn't really a great game for him. What was he, 7 for 15? I believe 3 for 7 from 3. So it's not as if he lit up the scoreboard, although 27 points for anybody else looks great. But if you're Kevin Durant, that's a game where first postseason game in that city, new uniform. They haven't lost since he's been in the lineup. And for the Clippers to just upset them. And to me, that was an upset. Because with no Paul George, and even with Russell Westbrook shooting 3 for 19 from the field, but he was a guy that actually had an impact on the Clippers' chances to win. Getting big rebounds, assists, going for 50-50 balls, 
this was the Russell Westbrook dating back to where he was in Oklahoma City. Now, I understand he was terrible from the floor, did not shoot well, and he's a guy that you do not want to have the ball in his hands in the final seconds of any game because, as you all know, he may have tendencies or he may have moments where he could shoot his team back in the games, but more often than not, he's going to shoot them out of it. But for whatever the reason, down the stretch, he played hard, and that's one thing that you cannot deny when it comes to Russell Westbrook, that even though his play may have fallen off a cliff, but he still gives you 100% maximum effort, and that is something to be said for a guy that has won an MVP, has all the triple-double seasons, doesn't have that ring, but could certainly rest on his laurels of what he's done in the past and not really focus in on today. But you know what? He didn't let a poor shooting night deter him from contributing in other ways. And that was the, other than Kawhi Leonard, but what you got there from Westbrook there, especially in that fourth quarter late in the game, showed that the Clippers may be in for a long fight with the series against the Suns. And I'm here for it. Now, we got to wait and see what's going to happen there with Devin Booker, even Chris Paul, who I understand Chris Paul is a show of his old self. He may have some moments here in this postseason where he'll have his 11 for 15, 28 points, 12 dimes. I get it. And I don't want to throw cold water on him or try to burn him in any way. He's 37, going to be 38 years of age. This team is going to be carried more by Devin Booker and Kevin Durant than it is going to be Chris Paul. That's just how it is. And that's a bad loss for the Suns. That was a game that, all right, you could lose the game one. Understood. But to know that it was all Kawhi Leonard and then add in the little recipe that what Westbrook gave you and that was victorious for the Clippers who now have a 1-0 series lead and I'm sure they're going to go balls to the wall to see if they can get that second win. But I would think that the Suns are going to come out blazing. No pun intended. I could see KD having that 37-point night. Booker to follow it up with 27 and they're going to run away 121-100. Something like that. And then the nightcap, you had Denver and Minnesota, which was no match. And Minnesota, I even mentioned this on the YouTube channel with my little short video. With Minnesota winning the game Friday night, beating OKC handily, especially in the second half. And I know a lot of the talk there, Rudy Gobert back in the game, the elbow on SGA. And Gobert, we all know he's a character. I mentioned this in the podcast on Thursday. But they did what they had to do in their building at home. They got the... Eighth seed, they were able to get into the tournament and Denver just took them to the back of the woodshed. There's nothing much to really discuss as far as that's concerned and I think this is going to be a short series. I mentioned that even if OKC came out of that game alive, that the Nuggets are going to be raring to go and then for Minnesota, they have to go to Denver less than 48 hours or roughly 48 hours and then have on top of that to play in the high altitude, the mile high city. And it's not as if the the Timberwolves have never played there, but that's going to be a tough turnaround knowing that the week that it was in Minnesota with the fight there on the sideline between Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert, him getting suspended, their fourth quarter meltdown in LA, which they should have won, had no business losing, but their offense just went to sleep. And thankfully, if it wasn't for those three free throws by Mike Conley, they certainly would have been long gone before the overtime. And then Friday night, I understand they pulled away late and they won by what, 25? And then you have what happened there last night. You throw it in the garbage and see if you can come back out there. I believe the game will be Wednesday when the T-Wolves and Nuggets will meet again. 
So it was a very good NBA weekend. Of course, you're going to have some clunkers. And the one thing that you only hope for, and maybe this first round, you could have three or four series, maybe go at least six games. And that's what you want. You don't want sweeps. You don't want five-game series. You don't want to have a straggler-type series where you have one game six and maybe a game seven. You want to have some length in this first round because, as we all know, they stretch these games out as if they have all year to play these games. You have your... Saturday game, then Tuesday, and then you're going to see them Friday. Or the Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. That's how they spread this out because they want to get the coverage. They want to get those first two weeks. They want to try to expand it as much as they can because they know once they get past this first round, you're going to have four series left. And there you're going to have that window during the week where they're going to have the 7, 9.30 slot or the 7.30, 10, 8, 10.30 between the East Coast games and the West Coast. And then at that point, when you get into the weekend, then you're going to have your 5.30 and 8 or 3.30 and 7, whatever it may be. So that's how the NBA is going to play out this first round. And if I had to guess here right now, Atlanta-Boston, that's going to be a short series. That's going to be probably over by Monday or Tuesday next week. I don't know the schedules off the top of my head, but those series are going to be done before you know it. Same for Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I would think the same for Denver and Minnesota. Other than that, Clippers, with them winning on the road, that could probably go six games. Golden State-Sacramento, I would think that's going to be a long series, and that's prior to Sacramento winning there on Saturday night. Lakers and Memphis, without Ja, could that be a five-game series for the Lakers to win? I don't think so, but I could see that being six games. And then you have Knicks and Cleveland, which I think that'll be a long series. So you may have... Half of those series go at least six games. But we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully for the NBA and their sake that they could have these games or these series go the distance or at least have some length in there and not to have one or two games the latter part of next week leading into the weekend to where you get your conference semifinals started and then you just take it from there. One other note, I know last week with the Mavericks... Them sitting out their players, fined $750,000. I think that came down on Friday for not playing starters, knowing that they still had a shot of making it into the playing tournament. And what Mark Cuban did, I know it wasn't right, but they have a scenario where the pick that they had that's going to the Knicks, it's lottery-protected top 10. So by them not playing their players, they wanted to make sure that they're going to be able to get that pick. And I don't know where they would fall as far as I believe it was a game or two under 500. Who knows where they're going to land as far as the lottery is concerned, but they were trying to do their best to not make it into the playoffs because if they did, then they automatically give their pick to the Knicks. So now, even if they're, let's say, have the 14th worst record in the sport, they still have an opportunity to get into the lottery based on the ping pong ball. So they wanted the safe face there to maybe even by chance to get that pick. So that's why they did that. I don't like it. I don't condone it. But you can understand why they did it. And I'm sure they'd rather fork over the $750,000 than have to give the Knicks their number one pick. So that's what we got there. And now as I turn my attention to what's happening on the ice as the Stanley Cup playoffs commence tonight. So the quest for the best trophy in all sports by far. It's not the Lawrence O'Brien trophy. It's not the World Series trophy. I know the Lombardi, everybody's going to look at that trophy as the iconic Tiffany symbol. Whenever the last team standing raises it over their head, uh uh-uh. 
There is nothing like the Stanley Cup. And it begins tonight. And there are so many different storylines. I'm going to only go with three. And I gave two of them already. If you've watched me on my YouTube channel, I posted that this morning. So I'll start with those two and then get to my third. And then, of course, I'll go through these series and give you my overall feel as to what to possibly expect here. Obviously, the first one's the Bruins. I know I've been saying this until I've been blue in the face. And not because I want to be blue in the face. It's because when you have a season where you have, what, 65 wins, 135 points. I think it was 64, but you get the drift. This team has to win a Stanley Cup. That's all there is to it. And we all know that when teams win the President's Trophy, whether they win it by one point or the margin that the Bruins did this year, there is no automatic that they're going to have an inside fast track to a Stanley Cup final. Can this team do it? Of course. Are they going to do it? I can't say they will. Because I've seen this time after time. Just look at the Lightning a few years ago. That's not to say they're going to get swept in the first round by the Florida Panthers, but geez, that was a juggernaut of a team. And as it was, that kind of reminded me, think about this, people. With the way Tampa had that season where they were record-setting, 62 wins, 132 points, and then they get swept, that reminded me of the Virginia Cavaliers when they were the one seed overall in the tournament and they got beat by UMBC, the first ever 16 to beat a one. And then the following year, Virginia won the national title where the following year, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. And then think about this, they won the cup after that and then they went to a cup last year. So, doesn't mean that the Bruins are going to punch their ticket and start the parade route somewhere in downtown Boston. So, to me, that is the top storyline because whether they win every series in seven games, including game seven in their building in 14 overtimes, as long as they do it, Nobody's going to care if it took them 28 games and 14 extra frames in order for them to finally get the brass ring. So that's how I look at it. Anything short of that is a major disappointment. Not minor. Major disappointment. Storyline number one. Number two has to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Another big year as far as the regular season goes. Entrenched in second place, well ahead of the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that they're very familiar with. In fact, they played in this same round last year because of the way the format is, which I don't like. I wish they could go one through eight, but I get it with the wild card. They have to put those two slots in there to kind of even it out. And as it is, the one plays the eight and the two plays the seven, which are the top two seeds in each of those divisions. They're going to play against the wild card. So the only difference is that the three, six, four, five matchup would have been different this year because you would have had, in this case, Toronto would have played the Rangers, the Devils would have been playing the Lightning, which would have been pretty interesting in its own right. But that is not the case. To go back to Toronto, I've said this time after time, if you've listened to this podcast over the last few years, that team has not won a first round in, what, 20 years. They've had heartache after heartbreak after more heartache that you could shake a stick at. And all you got to do is just look at the past two years. They had a 3-2 series lead going to Tampa. They end up blowing a game six down there and lose a game seven at home. In the bubble the year before, they had a 3-1 series lead against Montreal and they lose the last three games and bye-bye Toronto Maple Leafs. The Bruins, where they had a 4-1 lead in the third period with 11 minutes to go and the Bruins came storming back to win, I believe in regulation, 5-4, including in the final minute of a game. They have just been putrid. They have not been able to, to get over the hump. 
and Toronto, I understand you can't compare them to the Montreal Canadiens because the Canadians are the Yankees of hockey. But when people think of hockey in Canada, they're thinking Toronto. Yes, we get it that Quebec, French Canada, it's a whole separate province to all the others that are out there because people are going to zero in on Toronto, Ontario. So for the Maple Leafs to see if they can finally get over the hump and maybe go on a run to get to a conference semifinal, a conference final, and dare I even say a Stanley Cup final. A team that has not been to a Stanley Cup final in forever. The closest was 1993 when they lost a Game 7 in their old building, the Maple Leaf Gardens, to Wayne Gretzky in the LA Kings where the Kings lost to the Canadiens of all teams and the last time the Canadiens won a Stanley Cup, 1993. So I don't want to say it's now or never for this team, but let's call it as we see it. It is now or never. This team has had too much regular season success. They have great players abound. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, John Tavares. I know the goaltending is uh, ziffy, but with those guys, they should be able to get past the first round here. And I'll get to their series in a minute. And then lastly is the Wild Wild West. You have all these teams that have had over 100 points throughout the course of the regular season. Seven of the eight teams. And I understand a lot of teams get 100 points. When you look at the East, you only have the Panthers and the Islanders are the only teams to not have 100 points where you have the other six teams. But here you have seven teams. And to me, it's wide open. I know Vegas has been rock solid all year long. Edmonton had been charging to the latter part of the year where they won nine in a row going into the playoffs here. Colorado, they're the defending champ. And they seem to get healthy at the right point as they got themselves the top seed there as the two. They'll play the Seattle Kraken in their first ever playoff series. Dallas, as we all know, had a very good year and came close to winning a division. Minnesota was in the thick of things right there to the very end and a physical team at that. Seattle, they may be the wild card here as a team. First time, as I mentioned, what can they do on this stage and especially in their building where they'll be hosting a games three and four for the first time in their franchise's history, what the atmosphere is going to be like, what the crowd, will it be electric, what the experience will be there in the Pacific Northwest, that is unbeknownst to everybody right now. So you got all that factored in. And which one of those teams, any one of those teams could come out. Maybe even Winnipeg for that matter. And for this reason, they have a goaltender that could ride you from not only one series, but to the next and could possibly ride you to a cup in a one Connor Hellebuck. So that's something you have to keep in mind throughout that whole Western Conference that any one of those teams, unlike the East, I know Florida, they have some firepower, but their defense and especially their goaltending, very questionable. And then the Islanders, they had to really fight tooth and nail to get to this point to the end of the season. And as we all know, they do have a track record based on what we saw three years ago with them making it to the semifinals there in the bubble against Tampa. And then two years ago, making it to a Game 7 against the same Tampa Bay Lightning before losing in one nothing fashion in Game 7. Under a different coach, I understand, in Barry Trotz now at Lane Lambert. But again, the Islanders are going to be heavy underdogs going into that series. But in the West, it's going to be wild. It's probably going to be wide open. And we're going to get to see how this is all going to shake down here over the course of the next couple of months. And I'll start off with the East and go down. Florida-Boston, for what I mentioned, the Bruins, I can see them winning in five games. Maybe Florida does get a game. Maybe they get a high-scoring affair. But I think the Bruins and what they've done all year, this is going to be a series that I think will be as tidy as possible. Maybe even a sweep, but I'll give the Panthers one game. Not that I trust them. They got swept by Tampa in the second round last year, as you know. So 
For the Panthers, they have their work cut out for them, but no surprise when you're going up against a team that's been a juggernaut all year in the Bruins. The Islanders and Carolina Hurricanes, I think the Islanders, with everything that they had to do in the latter half of the year, especially down the stretch where they had a couple of tough losses, they had that back-to-back weekend in Tampa and Carolina when they lost back-to-back. They also lost to Carolina early in the year, a game that I went to, so they have not had a lot of success against the Hurricanes this year. Then they lost that game to Washington a week ago tonight, as we know, before Pittsburgh. Well, I should say the Blackhawks bailed out the Islanders by beating Pittsburgh there, what was it, the second to last day of the season. But for the Islanders, this is going to be a tall order. I could see them winning a game. Maybe they are down 0-2 going back to the island. And with the UBS Arena, the first time that they're going to host playoff games in Islander history. Remember the old barn there, Nassau Coliseum. The last time we saw that was Anthony Beauvillier scoring that overtime goal in the game six against Tampa to push it to a game seven. But now, much different setting. Let's see how the crowd is going to react. Let's see what type of electricity that building is going to have, if it's going to be anything close to what we saw in the Coliseum a couple of years back. I can't say that. I don't know. Certainly remains to be seen. But I think the Islanders, maybe they get a game, maybe two. I think the Hurricanes are going to win in six. I think there's going to be too much. They don't have a lot of firepower, the Hurricanes, but they're going to come at you with four lines. And the Islanders, even though they're going to get Matthew Barzal back, but is that going to be enough between he, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, John Gabriel Brajot, who had, to me, an underachieving year, so they're going to need for him to step up as far as goal scoring goes. And what are you going to get from Ilya Sorokin, who's going to be between the pipes here throughout the course of this series and maybe beyond if they do win this series? How he's going to perform is also going to be huge. And I think it may be a little bit too much for the Islanders to ask. I like the Hurricanes in six. Rangers-Devils, the bridge and tunnel, if you want to call it that, series. I think this could be, I'm not going to go as far back as the 94 series, which is one of the great series of great game sevens of all time between the scenario with Brodeur and what he did in that overtime and of course Stefan Matteau we know the call by Howie Rose far cry from that I believe the last time they met was 11 years ago in the conference final when the Devils went on to play in the Stanley Cup against the LA Kings that year this is going to be a series where I think the Rangers depth is going to prevail now the Devils have a lot of speed but again when you have guys on the Rangers the mainstays Artemi Panarin's Mika Sabanajads, the young guys who stepped up here in the latter part of the year, the Capococos, the Alexis Lafreniers, and on top of that, the imports, Patrick Kane, who has Stanley Cup winning experience, as we know, Vladimir Tarasenko, who won a cup in 2019. I think that's going to be a little bit too much for a devil team that had a big year, was nip and tuck with the Hurricanes, even with the Rangers, but they were ahead of them all year. The Devils have home ice. I could see it going seven games, and I think the Rangers are going to win seven. I just think that their experience, their depth is going to prevail. I get it that Jack Hughes and company, they're going to try to just blitz the Rangers and do as much as they can to try to thwart their offense with their own young guns, but I don't know if that's going to be enough. I think the Rangers, they have a team that's built to get to a cup, and therefore, I pick them in seven. And then, Tampa and Toronto. I have to pick the Leafs. And I'm only picking them more because it's an not an anti-lightning pick. But think about this. They've had three Stanley Cup runs in less than 36 months. 
And now they're going to embark on another run. And the team is not as good as it once was, even going back to last year. So for them to now lace up the skates, and you know they're going to be ready, and we understand that they have that DNA, that championship medal, the toughness, anything and everything that you could hope to imagine your team would have come this time of year. But the Maple Leafs, to a man, I know that they have to look themselves in the mirror and stare at one another to say, we must do it this year. Not we have to. Not we want to, we must. I'm picking the Leafs in six because if there's a game seven in Toronto, I will, uh, no, no, no. That is a coin flip and that will be a pressure-packed, tight crowd. That building, you could cut the tension with a knife if there's a game seven between Tampa and Toronto. Oh, I I wouldn't even want to watch it and I'm not a Maple Leaf fan, but I hope they get over the hump and I think that the series will go according to plan like we saw last year. A split in Toronto, a split in Tampa. The Leafs take game five at home and they have to positively close out that series in Tampa. And that's it. And I'm sticking with it. Vegas, I know we just talked about Winnipeg. I think that if Connor Hellebuck is on his game and standing on his head, maybe this goes six games. Could it go seven? Could Winnipeg pull an upset? We've seen 1-8 upsets plenty over the years, but I just think Vegas had such a solid year. They didn't make it to the playoffs last year. Down year for them. I think they're going to be primed and ready to go here. So I'm going to pick Vegas in six based on just their, not only just the year, but also they have some big-time scorers on their team, as we know, led by Jonathan Marshall. And I would think that Vegas has a deep run in them and Not to say they're going to steamroll against Winnipeg, but I think they're going to take care of them handily. I could see the Jets stealing a game or two, and that's going to be based on their goaltender. But I like the Golden Knights there in six. I'm going to say the Avalanche in five against Seattle. This may be a little bit too much. I'm sure Colorado has to breathe a sigh of relief knowing that they've been injured all year long. Nathan McKinnon was out a month there in the middle part of the year. Gabriel Landeskog, one of their key members of the team, is not going to be on the team for the playoffs as he's nursing an injury. And even though they exhaled beating Nashville in that final game after the regular season, I know there were a couple of games that were makeup games there that Friday night before the start of this postseason. But for Colorado, I'm sure they were able to exhale over the weekend. And Seattle, I would think they'll win a game in their building, even if they're down 3-0. I'm sure they'll show some pride. I'm sure they'll give their fans something to cheer about. But I think Avalanche in five is pretty accurate. As far as Minnesota and Dallas, this I could think it could be just an all-out battle. Minnesota is physical. They're tough. Kirill Kaprizov, their big-time goal scorer who missed a month right before the end of the regular season. You'd only hope that he's going to be, of course, he's going to be ready to go, but he's going to be able to be that guy who's going to be a sniper, who's going to put the puck in the net at will and as much as he possibly can because Minnesota is going to need that big time in order for them to not only just get past this round, but to also have some length in this postseason. So Kaprizov's going to be huge. But with Dallas and the year that they've had, and I understand you can't underestimate what they've done when you have a guy like Jason Robertson, who had a monster year, and you would think that the Wild are going to do everything and throw the kitchen sink at him and see what they could do to slow him down or even to stop him. But I'm going to pick the Wild in seven here. I know the Wild... They've shown you a little something there last year. I get it that this is a new season and you can't really bank on what happened last year to this year. But the Wild, 
they're going to show people that they are tough. And I think Kaprizov is a guy that when he is on a roll, and we understand that he's streaky, but when he is hot, he's one of the top goal scorers in the sport. So I'm going to take the Wild in seven. And then LA and Edmonton, with the way the Oilers have played here, nine in a row, Connor McDavid, 64 goals, 150 points. First time that's happened in decades, a couple of decades for that matter. And the Kings, who have played well all year, but down the stretch, they seem to lose a little bit of luster and maybe were just trying to get to the finish line knowing that they weren't going to compete for a division or even home ice in this first round against the Oilers. But I think the Oilers are going to take care of the Kings in five here because the Oilers, I would think, after last year, beating Calgary in the second round, getting to a conference final where they got swept by Colorado, knowing that maybe that sat in them at some parts of the year, maybe heading into the year, but now that they have really are firing on all cylinders, I would think Edmonton, they're going to look to see if they could get back to that point the way they were last year to a conference final and then take that next step. And I think this could be their year. So I'm picking them at five. And before the season started, I know my NBA pick was Brooklyn and the Clippers, and I guess I still had to pick the Clippers, but I revamped it a bit, and I did pick Boston and Phoenix because I don't know what the Clippers without Paul George, I didn't think that they were going to have a finals run in them. But one thing's for certain in the NHL, my pick from the beginning of the year is standing. I picked Edmonton and the Rangers in the cup final with Edmonton winning and Connor McDavid getting his first ring, counts my trophy the whole nine. So there's no way I'm going to even deviate from that pick. You could go back and check those receipts in early October. And then you had a couple of coaching changes and even front office changes. Peter Laviolette out in Washington after three years. He's coached a million teams as we know. Islanders won a cup in Carolina, Philadelphia. I mean, the guy's been everywhere. And who knows, he's probably going to land somewhere else at some point. But Laviolette out in Washington. And then after Pittsburgh not making it to the postseason for the first time in, what, 16 years. Bye-bye GM Brian Burke. Ron Hextall out. And who knows what's going to happen there. Mario Lemieux. From what I've read, he's going to go in there, not as GM or as the VP of Hockey Operations, but we all know he has that John Elway influence there with that organization. We know he is Mr. Penguin, so I'm sure he's going to bring in the right hockey people to see if they can right the ship after not making it into the playoffs in over a decade and a half. All right, now as I take off my skates and put on the cleats, batting gloves, etc., to talk a little baseball here, And I know usually at the beginning of the week, I like to go through certain things. I'm only going to touch on a couple of things here from over the weekend that I want to point out. And then when we get to Thursday, obviously, we'll have a lot of NHL, NBA talk. But I'll get into a little bit more baseball then. But what I've seen here over the course of the weekend, the Rays finally lose. They were about to go 14-0. I can't say about to because that game got away from the Rays there in the fourth inning in Toronto where they lost 6-3. But... What I meant was that they were going for 14-0, which would have been the first time since 1900 that a team had started off 14-0. Talked about it there on Thursday where I thought they were going to beat the Red Sox there in that afternoon game before going to Toronto to match the 82 Braves and the 87 Brewers for that 13-0 start. And the Rays did lose two out of three. They actually got the final game there behind Shane McClanahan. But for the Rays, you knew they were going to lose. It was... Just going to happen. They weren't going to go 162-0 or 14 or even 20-0. But a great start by them. And even with Toronto playing well over the weekend. To think 
what do they have a three game lead in the division and you would think starting off 13 and 0 and we all know how competitive the AL East is five games would have been off the top of your head maybe they have that much of a lead not the case only three games ahead of the Yankees as of right this moment so we'll have to uh, wait and see or two three and a half I should say whatever it is they're 14 and two as they move on to Cincinnati this week and speaking of the Yankees how about Garrett Cole and good job by them the Twins won the first two games of that series and we know the Twins never beat the Yankees and I was thinking after them winning 11-2 where they scored nine runs there on Thursday night and then they won 4-3 where they survived Back-to-back homers to start the game by Anthony Volpe and Aaron Judge. They were able to win 4-3, and Carlos Correa had a big first two games of that series that if the Twins were to get one of the last two to come to New York and get three out of four for them, that is a huge victory for the Twins because they never beat the Yankees, and that's going back, seriously, 20-some-odd years. Going back to when they were in the postseason, I believe, going back 2003, where the Yankees and Twins, for whatever the reason... Never, ever beat the Yankees in a big spot. But the Yankees salvaged those back two games and the final one being by Garrett Cole. Complete game shutout, two hitter, struck out, I believe, what was it, nine? Maybe it was 11, double digits off the top of my head, I don't recall. But Garrett Cole is now 4-0 with an 0-9-5 ERA. Great start, that's what you want to see. The Yankee fan, I'm sure, is happy. He has not given up a home run yet, which we know Cole has been susceptible to the long ball. So kudos to him and his start, but... I've said this time after time. And I understand people can say, whoop, here goes Jay Reels on the soapbox. Whoop, here goes Jay Reels, the Yankee hater that he is. And no, I'm just going to spit out facts, people. Garrett Cole, great start, and that's what you want to see. He's only getting paid $36 million a year. But as we all know, these games in April, although big, and although you're trying to keep pace with the Rays, but you want to see the same energy come October. That's all I got to say there. Because Garrett Cole could win all these games, he could have the sub-1 ERA, and he could be at the All-Star break 15-1, and for all I know and for all I care. But if he's in the top three in the Cy Young, and maybe even wins the Cy Young, and he goes 22-5, and with an ERA about 2.1, and he strikes out 300 guys, and has this record-breaking year in pinstripes, but if he gets bombed in a game one in a division series, wherever that may be, or whether it's at home or on the road, you'd think it'd be at home, Or if they go to Houston and gets bombed there and does not perform to what we've seen so far in the first four games of his season, the Yankee fans will have those short memories of these April wins when it comes to the middle of October. Keep those receipts and keep that in mind as we move throughout the course of this baseball season. Other than that, I know the Mets won three in Oakland, big whoop, and I know Pete Alonso has eight home runs, good for him, but I'm not going to get crazy or geeked up as a Mets fan, as you know. Then beating the A's, especially the last two where they had to come from behind the ninth inning. Alonso had the game-tying home run before winning an extra. So, hey, good job. You got to beat the bad teams, I understand. And now they go down the coast to play the Dodgers for three games. So that's going to be an interesting test for them early on to see how they stack up against the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are flailing a little bit. What are they, at 500 at the moment? 8-8, eight and eight, not a good start for them. What do they lose? I think they played the Cubs over the weekend. I know Bellinger hit a home run as he... Went back to play against his former team over the weekend. And yes, they did lose two out of three in LA at home against the Cubs. So let's see where the Mets and how they do here before they go back up the coast to play the San Francisco Giants in the middle of this long 10-game road trip out west. So that's what I have with baseball. And then to wrap up with the NFL, I know 10 days from today we'll have the NFL draft. But big news coming out 
was Jalen Hurts signing the biggest contract in NFL history, which will soon be trumped, I would think, by Lamar Jackson, and then after that by Justin Herbert, and then after that by Joe Burrow. So this is going to be short-lived for one Jalen Hurts, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Five years, $255 million, and $179 million guaranteed. It's not about the money. It's not about the contract. I get it. That's the going rate here for a top upper echelon starter. And that's what Jalen Hurts was when you think about his performance this year. He was what? Number two in the MVP voting behind Patrick Mahomes. And I understand game for your life. You would probably pick these guys ahead of them. Not probably. You definitely would pick these guys ahead of them. You're picking Mahomes over Hurts. You're picking Burrow over Hurts. You may even pick Josh Allen over Hurts, although there may be a faction that would think that, well, hey, at least Jalen Hurts got to a Super Bowl and Josh Allen hasn't even sniffed one. All right, you could argue that, but I'm sure if you had to start a team today, a lot of people would probably choose Josh Allen over Jalen Hurts, just saying. Justin Herbert, maybe, borderline, but I think you'd probably pick Hurts over him. Aaron Rodgers, even at 39 years of age, just for one year, Maybe even for one game for that matter. And I understand Rodgers hasn't been clutched throughout his career. But there are arguments to whether or not Rodgers could be a guy that you would pick over Hurts. Maybe not. Obviously over the next five years. I'm just talking about today. Trevor Lawrence and what he did this year. I get it. They underachieved as far as their record goes. And the AFC South was abysmal. But he did win a playoff game. Down 27-0. I get it to the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Who is the next guy on that list. Who you probably would pick over Jalen Hurts. So you have quite a few quarterbacks, even Lamar Jackson. There's another guy that you would probably pick. He won an MVP. I understand that you probably would trust Jalen Hurts a lot more because of health and maybe a better arm. But you could argue that Lamar Jackson is better than Jalen Hurts. And I'll talk about Jackson in a second. But with that being said, and despite Jalen Hurts having a year that I'm sure he wishes he could continue for the rest of his career, a magic carpet ride that he never wants to get off. But knowing that Going into this coming year, signing this big deal, all of the pressure is going to be on that number one jersey of his and his shoulders to deliver for this team. And after one year, to get that $179 million guaranteed, $255 million contract, I wouldn't have been so quick to do that. I'm sure he probably has another year or two left on his contract, and I'm sure it was probably fiscal for the Eagles to do so now than it would be after next year or even the year after that. Because remember, they're paying Lane Johnson $33 million, I believe, in 2026 or maybe 2025 for that matter. Whatever it is, they gave him that extension. And of course, they've lost players just like everybody else has in the offseason here, especially in Philadelphia and even on that defense for that matter. But when you have Hurts, who they're banking on to see if they could get back to the same spot and he played very well in the Super Bowl. But now with that Money comes expectation. And not being a one-hit wonder or a guy that's going to show glimpses or flashes or whatever. Because as we all know, we can look at that one year and say, all right, you earned it, you deserved it. But when you go into next year, and even the year after that, can you right now, bonafide, 100% say that Jalen Hurts is going to have a carbon copy type year that he did last year to this year? We know Mahomes will. We know Burrow will. We know for all intents and purposes, Josh Allen will. And same maybe we'll go for Justin Herbert. Not that I'm trying to put him in the Hall of Fame. Trevor Lawrence, etc. 
But Jalen Hurts, me, I still have to see a little bit more before I'm giving him that type of money. When you back up the Brinks truck to that much for one year, and I understand that was an almost MVP year for him, that's still going to be a lot to overcome. And then Buda Baker's requesting a trade out of Arizona. As we know, Arizona's just been a mess over the last year. And of course, it's coming down the contract. I believe he's, what, going to get paid $11 million this year. And that's going to be grossly underpaid to all the other safeties that are out there, or at least DBs in the sport. So he wants out. And who knows if the Cardinals, I believe as of right now, they said that they weren't going to trade him. Who knows what's going to happen between now and the draft. Do you think that that's where a lot of the transactions are going to take place if Baker is going to move and let's face it he cannot pull an NBA player empowerment power play on this because it's not as if Buda Baker is Ed Reed or Troy Polamalu now Buda Baker is a very good safety I believe he probably has a first team all pro under his belt but is he a guy that you're going to fork over the sun moon and stars for I don't think so very good player not knocking Buda Baker in the least but to get that type of return, and he's probably going to get that payday, if not from Arizona, from somewhere else if he does get traded. But who knows if the Bidwells are going to be able to pull that off or if they want to pull it off. And as of right now, it looks like they don't on whether or not they're going to grant that request for one Buda Baker. So that we'll have to keep an eye on. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation. It definitely is not taken for granted or does not go unnoticed. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you can do so the following on YouTube, at J Reels, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels, one just a number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, and suggestions, you could just hit me up there and I'll be more than happy to follow up. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this endeavor, the upkeep of the website, production, the equipment, anything and everything that entails this production from this microphone into your earbuds or speakers that is entertaining as well as informative. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. Sports is in the blood. It's in the DNA since day one. And as long as I'm alive and breathing, I'm going to keep chugging this train along until the wheels fall off. And hopefully that will not be the case because, again, this is my passion, my fire, fury, with nothing but energy, with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>